Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. I'll tell you, this show is kind of bittersweet in a sense because we're going to be celebrating someone who celebrated cats who unexpectedly passed away. And we're going to honor her. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll explain that. But if you're a cat lover, you will appreciate that conversation. Also, we'll be talking about dietary supplements with a veterinary behaviorist. Wayne Bissell is the president for the Center for a Humane Economy, president of Animal Wellness Action. And I could not believe it. I mean, it's not that I don't believe you, Wayne. You are a very credible source. But when I received a press release saying a United States governor said, let's support cockfighting. Let's see this happen in my state. I thought, this could not be the United States. We're talking about Oklahoma and Governor Kevin Stitt. Can you talk about why in the world a United States governor could say such a thing? Steve, thanks for having me on. It it was startling. I did not see it coming. Having said that, the cockfighters in Oklahoma have been very politically active. It's the number one cockfighting state, according to our investigations at Animal Wellness Action. There are hundreds of major game cock farms where fighting birds are bred for illegal fights in Oklahoma and then shipped all over the United States and all over the world. We're really engaged in a very brisk trade uh, to Mexico for fighting birds where the cartels control the cockfighting arenas. There are tens of thousands of fighting animals that move across the border to Mexico back into the United States because the cartels have reached in the U.S. The U.S.-based cockfighters are consorting with these cartels they're also sending the birds to the Philippines, where cockfighting is also legal. They have the World Slasher Derby in the Philippines. It's the biggest global event for cockfighting. When the cockfighters win at these derbies, they are recognized as a good cockfighting breeder, so to speak. And then people buy their birds in the cockfighting fraternity. The Oklahoma Gamefowl Commission, which is a cockfighting front group, sounds like an authoritative body. It's not. It's just the name of a group that a bunch of cockfighters attach to themselves. They raised $70,000 for a pack. They gave money to Governor Stitt for his reelect in 2022. They gave money to another 25 politicians. They're trying to decriminalize cockfighting in Oklahoma. We beat them off earlier this year. Uh, with their two bills sponsored by lawmakers who got their money. Stid has been quiet, but then the cockfighters had a rally to get ready for the 2024 legislative session, and he essentially offered a Valentine video to them, saying what a great group they are. We've got to protect this part of rural Oklahoma. It's part of our economy. I salute the Gamecock breeders of Oklahoma. They're a bunch of criminals. Now, as of this moment, because what Wayne is saying here is almost hard to believe. Uh, as of this moment, you could see that video yourself. Go to my website, stevedale.tv, although I hear YouTube is in the process of trying to take down all those videos because of what cockfighting is. And you know what? It is not front and center in Chicago or the Chicago area, or Illinois, but it does happen. Absolutely, it happens in Chicago. It's illegal, it's a felony, so they don't celebrate that this is happening, they don't advertise to the public, come to a cockfight, because it is so illegal. 
Can you explain for those who don't know, first off, what cockfighting is? Sure, Steve. And the whole thing is startling. I mean, unless you really kind of delve into this world like I have through the years, you just think, how could this happen in the 21st century? I mean, this is kind of a 19th century enthusiasm or or earlier. I mean, it really started with the Greeks and the Romans 3,000 years ago. But this practice involves putting specially bred, specially trained animals in a pit. So that's what dogfighting involves as well. In this case, it's roosters. And the cockfighters affix implements to their legs, either short knives, long knives, or gaffs. And the type of fight is defined by the type of weapon. So it's a short knife fight or it's a gaff fight. And they set them on each other after stirring them up, putting them beak to beak, back and forth to get them enraged. And then they fight. There might be at a derby 60 or 70 entrants, uh, different you know, cockfighters enter. It might be a two-cock derby, three-cock derby, four-cock derby. So at a four-cock derby, each entrant enters four birds, and they fight, you know, for hours. I mean, they fight dozens and dozens of fights. And then the winner, the guy who has his birds beat all comers, gets the whole pot with some taken out for the house. They do side bets on the individual fights, And it's a crime-ridden enterprise. It's not just animal cruelty. It's narcotics trafficking. It's money laundering. As I said, the cartels are involved. In the Philippines, it's organized crime. In the Philippines, there was $13 billion wagered on cockfights last year. They call it e-sabong. There were 32 people kidnapped and never heard from again because of cockfighting debts that went unpaid. I mean, this is organized crime on a scale, Steve, that is hard to believe. It's bigger in Illinois than you would think. It's bigger Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma than you would think. It's bigger in California, Hawaii, the Philippines, Mexico than anyone would think. And that's why we are working to get the laws enforced. Well, right. So the laws are there. In Oklahoma, as we talked about, they want to reverse the laws. And to make things clear, you talked about what the winner gets. But how about the winning animal? First of all, the winning animal may get to live but the losing animal, in most cases, I mean, the animals are killed. It's a, it's literally a blood sport. When talking about this stuff, I hate to use the word sport because there's no sport involved. Can you comment on that and also the fact that children are often exposed to this? It's a death match, Steve. You know, when you put knives on animals' legs and, and they kick with those knives or with a curved ice pick called a gaff. I mean, these are not just, you know, little cuts. These are, these are mortal wounds. You know, they get stabbed in the heart. They get stabbed in the eye. They get stabbed in the lungs. Uh, this is a death match. And sometimes even the winner dies uh, because uh, that rooster has sustained terrible wounds but lasted a little longer than the other combatant. And yes, our undercover investigations, and there's also a group in Illinois called Shark, showing animals respect and kindness. This group is a key partner of ours, and that organization has done undercover investigations in Illinois, in Oklahoma, in Kentucky, and other states, drone these cockfighting farms, documented what's going on, as have we. And we are just peeling back this ugly underside of spectator activity in the I, I won't call it sport either spectator activity that that centrally features animal cruelty this is the first set of animal cruelty crimes criminalized in the united states dogfighting and cockfighting in the early 1800s 
So even before we had animal groups like the Chicago Anti-Cruelty Society or you know the MSPCA, we as a nation had state lawmakers that recognized there was something morally wrong. There was something debasing about watching animals attack and kill each other. It was dehumanizing to the people involved. So we banned it in many states before the first animal groups were formed. Now it's a felony almost everywhere, but there's a massive underground and even kind of quasi-visible above-ground cockfighting industry in the U.S., and that's why we need to stop it. So maybe the governor of Oklahoma did us all a favor by bringing it all up again, so it becomes front and center. So maybe in a very roundabout way, that's a good thing. Also, I mentioned the fact that children are exposed. When we come back, I want to talk about that. These things are available for people to watch on YouTube, for Christ's sakes, or other, even if YouTube says, okay, we caught it, we caught it, we caught it, there are other platforms that play this stuff. In addition to that, dogfighting I want to talk about because that's still around. Hard to believe, but true. We'll talk with Wayne Pacelli some more when we come back on WGN. He is the president for the Center for a Humane Economy and Animal Wellness Action, Wayne Pacelli. We're talking about cockfighting and how one governor, which I can't imagine, in the United States. So, yeah, you talked about how in the Philippines and some other countries, sadly, cockfighting is uh, perhaps even acceptable. Uh, or if it's illegal, it goes on and everyone kind of knows it goes on. I'd suggest in parts of Mexico, that's the case. But in the United States, a U.S. governor going on YouTube, making a public address, he didn't go on YouTube to do it, but YouTube picked it up and he was fine with that, making a public address saying, yes, I want to decriminalize cockfighting. And it isn't only the animals, as you spoke about, how inhumane and barbaric this is, but it's also the people watching, which sometimes on platforms where videos are brought into the homes of anyone who could watch this stuff, including children. You're not an expert per se on child psychology, but Wayne, I don't know that you have to be to comment on how horrific this is for kids to watch and how they can be desensitized. It's basic, Steve, and you know this from all of your work looking at the link between animal cruelty and human violence. If you have adults socialized behavior that involves cruelty to animals, you have a profound impact on the psychology of a child. It's like, you know, a child goes to a dog fight or a cock fight and adults are cheering and betting and thinking that's okay. How can that not adversely affect the psychology of a child? Now, maybe some kids will be repulsed and that will forever imprint on their minds and they'll hate the activity. But you see multi-generational cockfighting families. Uh, the vice president of the Oklahoma Game File Commission, the Cockfitters Group, his father challenged the law. It's Edmondson, who was the attorney general at the time, a generation ago, versus Pierce, his father, who challenged the law. Uh, the Oklahoma Supreme Court ruled unanimously that the law was a proper exercise of state authority, but this was a multi-generational cockfighting family. The kids started young. They got exposed to this. And we know that animal cruelty is often predictive of a larger kind of social disconnect that people exhibit in society, that 
we know that people who are capable of doing terrible things to animals are more inclined to do terrible things to people. It's a violent enterprise. And kids attend these cockfights. Parents bring kids to them. That is a federal felony to do so. But we've documented it. We've got Shark, which is a an animal protection group headquartered in Illinois, has footage at Kentucky cockfights uh, where they went undercover and kids are there, 5, 10, 15, 20 kids at a cockfight. This is just revolting behavior. Mm-hmm. And even if they're not there, the fight is brought into their homes via social media platforms. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit because you also are involved with strengthening a federal dogfighting law. And I first said to you, why do we need to do that? Because it's already a felony. But then you pointed some things out that I did not know, Wayne. Well, the Fight Act, uh, which is H.R. 2742 in the U.S. House of Representatives and S. 1529 in the U.S. Senate, it's a bipartisan bill. It does several things. But one of those things, Steve, which I think you're intimating, is that it bans gambling on online animal fights. And you go to the dark web, you go to the the light web, so to speak, and you can find these fights. I mean, as I, as I said, in the Philippines, $13 billion was wagered on cockfights just last year. That, those boundaries are, are not national boundaries. The web is a global platform. So we want to ban the fighting, and we're working with the American Gaming Association, which is the U.S. casino industry. It's all the major Las Vegas casinos, Atlantic City, the Indian casinos all over the United States, the riverboat casinos. They are deeply concerned about illegal gambling, and they support this bill. And it's tough to figure out an enforcement scheme with this, with this, you know, very amorphous sort of situation on the web difficult to monitor where the fights are occurring, uh, but we're committed to getting something in law and then figuring out an enforcement scheme. We also, with this bill, create a private right of action against dogfighters and cockfighters that if our federal law enforcement agents don't take action against the known animal fighter, we can't and bring a civil suit against these perpetrators of violence and people who make our communities less safe. You know, in Hawaii, Earlier this year, there were three people uh, shot and killed at a cockfight. In Mexico, in cartel on cartel violence at a cockfight, 20 people were murdered at a cockfight last year. I mean, these are not uncommon circumstances. There are shootings and other violence that breaks out at cockfights. And doesn't it just stand to reason? People who like to see violence, are they going to be the most law-abiding Pacific people? No, quite the opposite. Pacific people? Do you mean people who surf? I don't know what you mean by that. Pacific as in uh, people who are kind. Ah, people that are kind. Well, yeah, in fact, I serve on the National Link Coalition, and in all seriousness, as you have pointed out, there is a link, and that is, the, in fact, the term the law, law enforcement uses uh, between violence to people and violence to animals, or violence to animals and violence to people. Violence begets violence. That we do know. You know, I, I'll i take a stab at this, even though I don't know this. I know the man, so I know this. Our own uh, U.S. Representative Mike Quigley is, I suspect, very supportive of everything you are talking about. So what do you suspect that people do, or what do you hope that people do, who say, yeah, we're behind you, but what can we do? 
Well, you're right. Congressman Quigley, who represents a portion of Chicagoland, is a great animal advocate. He's a co-sponsor of the Fight Act. Uh, we've got very good um, animal-friendly lawmakers um, at the federal level in Illinois, uh, like Senator Dick Durbin, who's leading the Puppy Protection Act, and uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin, who's leading the Bear uh, Poaching Elimination Act, uh, and also trying to stop the use of lead ammunition on national wildlife refuges. So both of them are leaders on animal welfare. They both uh, should co-sponsor this bill. They haven't yet. So I think alerting your listeners to the Fight Act and urging them to call their federal lawmakers would be one good constructive way that you as an individual can help address this problem. You know, we at Animal Wellness Action give out rewards $5,000 for information that leads to the arrest and prosecution of an animal fighter, whether a dog fighter or a cock fighter. We need eyes and ears. Hmm. Uh, law enforcement doesn't have enough resources, but there are people in our communities who see this, know about it, and get in touch with us, and we'll work with you to interdict these crimes. Animal Wellness Action. Quickly, give me the website, Wayne. Animalwellnessaction.org and centerforahumaneeconomy.org. Easy enough. Wayne Paselli, thank you so much. Always good to talk to you, and I'm so glad for the work you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Next week on the show, uh, the Veterinary Giving Tree. It's an amazing not-for-profit that helps folks in the veterinary profession who need help. Uh, we'll explain what this is about. It's, an, it's a viable nonprofit, and this is the time of year to talk about that, right? It's kind of like, sort of like, but not really like the Salvation Army for those who care for our pets. Sort of. Uh, In any case, we'll talk about that next week. We'll also talk about keeping your pets safe over the holidays. For example, I am a strong believer that tinsel ought to be banned. I'm I'm quite serious about that. I mean, we ought to pick it in in Washington, D.C., in front of the White House against tinsel. Because, I mean, really, our pets are so attracted to it, and if they swallow it, uh, you're in trouble, uh, or the pet's in trouble. I mean, that's surgery right there, and sometimes they don't make it through. Please, no tinsel if you have pets in your home. Peter Cohn, co-founder of Zen by Cat, is here to announce something that I think is very cool, very important for cats. But I want to back up, Peter. First, let's explain what Zen by Cat is. So Zen by Cat is a legal nonprofit that I created in 2016 uh, when my kittens, Miss Bean and then Smokey, got into the first drug trial at UC Davis to hu- use uh, human antivirals to try to cure FIP. Uh, Miss Bean didn't make it, Smokey did, and Zen by Cat is our way of paying it forward uh, by raising money for FIP research and now also connecting FIP cats with the current treatments that are available. All right, so let's explain that. So FIP is feline infectious peritonitis, always thought to be fatal, and it's now considered treatable. And when you first began this organization, I don't recall, I've known you for a long time, Peter, but I don't recall the year, but whatever year it was, would you have ever thought we would come this far in a sense, this quickly? No, no. I, I, Zen by Cat we created in 2016, uh, that first drug trial. And then at that time, all FIP cats died. And I never would have believed that just three years later, when the drugs became, uh, although not approved online, um, that we're curing uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of cats around the world with these drugs today. 
And uh, you're one of the reasons for that by raising money uh, for people who actually do the studies. I'm on the board, as you know. It was then called the Winfeline Foundation. Now the Every Cat Health Foundation funded those studies. Uh, and those studies oftentimes were led by one veterinarian. Dr. Niels Peterson did the studies uh, at the University of California, Davis. He's now a professor emeritus. And he did these studies going back decades and decades at first to first understand what this very complex disease caused by a coronavirus. We now all know what coronaviruses are, right? Uh, and But no one understood at that point in time how it could, or the very fact that it could, mutate inside the cat to cause this, what was then fatal disease. And he came up with the idea of saying, okay, I understand now, and I think that, that one over there, that antiviral will work. And unlike bacterial infections where we have antibiotics, we have limited antivirals, even for humans, as we found out when the COVID pandemic hit. Uh, but this does work for cats, and now there are a couple of drugs. The problem is our U.S. Food and Drug Administration has not said, let's celebrate it. Uh, they've said, hold on here. Unlike other countries all over the world where these antivirals are perfectly legal, acceptable for cats, we're not going to okay it for reasons that are unclear to me, Peter. I don't quite understand. So, therefore, people have to go online to do it. And when they go online, they're often dealing with a company from China. And one veterinarian spoke up early on, and this is where you come in. You know who she is, a friend of mine, a friend of yours. Dr. Elizabeth Colloran said, you know what? We've got to do this for cats. It's the right thing to do. Here's how you do it and do this as a veterinarian with a drug unapproved, but you can support the cat. Can you talk about what you and Dr. Colloran often talked about? Yes. So I was fortunate enough to meet her. She was actually at the 2019 uh, symposium at UC Davis put on by every cat that um, switched FIP from an always fatal disease to a treatable disease. And she had has been an early advocate for using these drugs, even though they are not approved. And my understanding is they are not approved in almost all countries, not just the US. Uh, and early on, when when there was a lot of pushback. She was a strong advocate. She spoke at a lot of uh, symposiums and helped vets understand that they, while they couldn't buy the drug, they couldn't inject the drug, they could do a lot of supportive care. Um, and for that reason, she is one of the greatest uh, defenders and, and advocates for FIP cats. And for cats in general, uh, because I was a, a friend of Dr. Collins. We often spoke together at conferences, and she was supposed to do something with you and then tell me about what happened. Yeah, so so I've known her for many years. She's been a very big supporter of Zenby Cat and our mission. And we were actually going to speak uh, at the uh, CMEL convention uh, about FIP together in August. Uh, and her illness caused her to cancel that. Um, and we never got to meet there. And we had planned to create a fundraiser together. She had always wanted to do one for Zenby Cat. Um, and because of her illness, that didn't come to pass. And, in fact, she passed away. Uh, but to celebrate the work that Dr. Colloran has done and also to create more awareness because we can do more 
than what we're currently doing for these cats with feline infectious peritonitis. Now knowing what we know about coronaviruses, that helps in part. Uh, You are about to announce something very special. Yes, uh, this morning, our Giving Tuesday, Zenby Cats annual Giving Tuesday campaign this year is dedicated to Dr. Elizabeth Colleran. This is something she wanted to do with us, uh, and I know she's looking down and smiling. Uh, So uh, this year, everything we raise will be in her name, uh, and we hope to raise a lot of money. Yeah, I I do too. And that money goes, explain what Zenby Cat is and where that money specifically would go. So Zen by Cat, as I said, is a legal nonprofit, and we fund FIP research all around the world through the Every Cat Health Foundation. So this money, uh, and Zen by Cat is set up uniquely in that 90% of all money raised goes directly to Every Cat and the researchers, and the 10% that we use helps offset our cost, our outreach, to save today's cats. So when you give us uh, $10, nine goes to research, one helps today's cats, None of it goes to people. There's no there's no fees. No one gets paid. Uh, and that's what this Giving Tuesday campaign will go. We hope to raise thirty or $40,000 for FIP research. And for people who say, because I know you have a perfect answer for this, oh, we've gotten there. We've got the drugs. Yes, they're not legal. One day maybe they will be. And uh, in fact, I'm sure they will be. But one day. <laughs> it's, it's not happening soon enough by our Food and Drug Administration Center for Veterinary Medicine. Uh, but we can do more than what these drugs, even if legal tomorrow, would provide, Peter. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, there's so much FIP research going on and that's needed. Uh, we need more drugs, uh, better drugs. Uh, the current drugs absolutely work, but it's a 12-week uh, treatment process. Uh, we need a definitive test. There actually isn't one for FIP. And of course, we really want a vaccine, so no one has to go through this. Uh, so uh, through the Every Cat Health Foundation, we f- we're funding, helping fund research all around the world for all these things. Uh, Dr. Niels Peterson was very clear that uh, there was always meant to be more than one or two drugs, just like uh, human HIV. Uh, we want to give a cocktail to the cats. So uh, it's absolutely ongoing research is very, very much needed. And coronaviruses change all the time, as we found out uh, and are continuing to find out with COVID-19. Humans can benefit from this, too. And uh, when Dr. Peterson first said, let's try a drug for feline infectious peritonitis, that drug was remdesivir. And if it wasn't for Dr. Peterson, if it wasn't for cats getting FIP in the first place, and I must say uh, the organization you allude to, the Every Cat Health Foundation, whose board I'm proud to serve on for many years, without these three together, it's unlikely we would have had Remdesivir, no one would have known about remdesivir, which was a failed drug for humans for the Ebola virus. It was sitting in storage. Dr. Peterson said, I think this can work for cats with coronavirus. Well, it turned out to work. Those studies were looked at by a desperate U.S. government at that point in time at the beginning of the pandemic. What can we do? What antivirals possibly can work? And it turned out that drug is still used around the world and had a part of saving countless human lives. Yes, it's one of the ironies is that uh, a lot of the research uh, that Dr. Peterson and many others did for uh, FIP was the basis for quickly coming up with treatments for uh, COVID in humans. And the sad irony is that because it's used in humans, that's uh, the main reason why uh, the main drug will 
is not going to be approved for cats. So uh, that's why we need more drugs, right? We need drugs that will be approved. Yes, uh, that's absolutely true. Or other things that we can do for these cats, such as potentially vaccinating. And we know that we have the technology now to vaccinate against coronavirus, right? So maybe some of that can be transferred to cats as well. But all of this takes money. Dr. Elizabeth Colloran, who you mentioned, past president of the American Association of Feline Practitioners, was a great ambassador, not only to talk about FIP, as you mentioned, uh, but to talk about cats and to talk with veterinary professionals about handling cats and practices, to talk about making changes to do things that simply are more cat-friendly, which I'm sure she talked to you about as well. Yes, she she was a tireless advocate, and, you know, she hid her own disease uh, right up till the end. I, the last communications I had with her, uh, she was apologizing for missing the conference in August, uh, even while she was nearing the end of her life. So uh, we really, really want to honor her with this, um, and I hope people will donate. Yeah. Where do we go to donate? Uh, so it's going to be uh, Giving Tuesday. It's going to be on Facebook. That's the main page. But we're going to share it on all our platforms. Zen by Cat, you can find it. Um, but mainly go to uh, Zen by Cat Facebook and you'll find it there. Okay, so if you're on Facebook, type in Zen by Cat, you will find it. Uh, what is the website for people that want to know more? Uh, our website is uh, zenbycat.org. Easy enough. Z-E-N-B-Y-C-A-T dot org. Peter Cohn, you have been tireless to help raise money. It was my honor to work with Dr. Colloran so many times, and uh, I'm grateful for that. In any which case, I'm grateful to have known her, and I'm grateful for all the work you do. Thank you, Peter. Thank you very much. Dr. Julia Albright is a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Behaviorist, Associate Professor at the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine. You know, fear, anxiety, and stress, we don't want too much of that in our pets. That isn't what they call fear-free, which is minimizing fear, anxiety, and stress. But you know what? Stress is also a part of life. So how do we know, Dr. Albright, if our dogs or cats are too stressed? Oh, that's a good question. And luckily, we have lots of resources now. Um, I... Fear Free is one of the best of them. So Fear Free Happy Homes, they have some videos that help you see there are some behaviors and vocalizations that are strongly correlated with with fear, anxiety, and stress. They're, they can't be interpreted in another way. And by fast scales, you meant fear, anxiety, and stress. Fear, fear anxiety, f- and stress. Right. Fearfreehappyhomes.com is the website you refer to, which is a superb website. Lots and lots of information. I want to talk about some things that people can do, say on a maintenance level, to maintain or maybe even prevent the worst, if you will, quote-unquote, from happening in the first place. So clearly, one way in which we have today to deal with fear, anxiety, and stress are dietary supplements. Dr. Albright, who would have ever thought? But yes, dietary supplements. What are we talking about? Dietary supplements are a wide range of nutrients um, that that may help support our body system. So everything from joint health to anxiety to gut health 
Uh, and now we know there's that there's a link between the gut and the brain. Um, a lot of folks, it's been out there in the popular press a lot, that gut-brain axis. So we, we have a lot of products now that can help support good bacteria growing in our guts. And they create chemicals, basically. They synthesize chemicals that can, um, especially the good ones, that promote certain um you know, beneficial effects on our body, but there are some uh, bacteria as well that um, can create some disease state, you know, some dysfunction in our body as well. So these supplements, what they can do, especially with the gut brain axis um, or just gut health alone is, yeah, promote those good, sort of give the body more of those good bacteria that have been shown to support everything from anxiety to gut health to heart health um, working on skin right now, I've heard of as well. So exciting times. Oh, indeed. And we're talking about Fortiflora uh, prebiotic, potentially uh, Fortiflora probiotic, as well as something called calming care, which is directly having to do with anxiety. Can you briefly explain what this is? And everything we're talking about, before you do, dietary supplements that you, as a pet parent, simply sprinkle on your dog or cat's food. It's kind of that simple. Uh, But can you explain what that is about? Because that directly deals with anxiety. Correct. So calming care is sort of unique um, in the the pet space right now in that it uh, contains something called bifidobacterium longum. And it that bacteria has been shown in many laboratory species and in people to be associated with less anxiety um, and not to get too into the the mechanism and the pathology and the physiology there. Um, but it basically that those bacteria, they synthesize things that help our body create its own serotonin, its own dopamine, um, which has been associated with improved behavior, to put that simply. So basically, took an antidepressant. Those are the same neurotransmitters that we're going to target. And so it seems like we can get a bacteria to help us do that. And the idea is to use this all the time as a potential preventive measure, as well as what the heck, why not? Correct. Yeah, that we, um, so that brand in particular, there's some others on the market that are not um, affecting the gut brain axis. They sort of like green tea extract and um, a milk based protein, like those can be used more for specific events. Um, But this Purina product is really the studies around that have are, are to show that the daily you know, anxiety. So you put it on the food daily. Um, And just as a veterinarian, I use it all the time for its delicious palate. It's, you know, it's wonderfully tasty to our pets, especially cats. Any cat owner out there knows that they come in, kind of come in two flavors, right? I got one that breaks into the dog food and I got one that will eat nothing. You know, it, it depends on the the weather or how you looked at her that day. So, but she will eat this calming care and the same flavoring that's in the Fortiflora um, every time. Veterinary behaviors, Dr. Julia Albright, thank you. You're welcome. You may have heard about an infectious disease that's spreading, sometimes deadly, 
and it's happening all over the country. So to keep up to date about that, I want you to consider two things. First of all, asking your veterinarian about vaccination, if you don't know for sure, to ensure that your dog, this is happening in dogs, not cats or birds or people, uh, to ensure that your dog is up to date on all of your dog's respiratory vaccines. That's one thing. And and then the second is to follow the latest news about this. It's still evolving, and it's all on my website, and that's stevedale.tv. Speaking of websites, check out wgnradio.com and look for under where it says podcast, the Petcast, as I have the opportunity to go deep, really have in-depth conversations with people like uh, veterinary behaviorist Dr. Debbie Horwitz. We talked about whether it's true that today dogs are more aggressive than, say, 10 years ago. At least we're seeing more severe dog bites. We discussed that in great detail. I talked to Dr. Mary Gardner about a tough topic to talk about, but it's an important one. And that's end of life. I mean, questions like, how do you know? And it's a question she gets literally every day. How do you know when it's time? A new survey is out during the pandemic. What do you think the most popular sort of alternative or sometimes called exotic pets? What what do you think? During the pandemic, it was the box turtle. Their sales went up 16% hundred percent, believe it or not. Uh, By the way, after uh, dogs and cats, the most popular pet, rabbits, followed by the American quarter horse, leopard geckos, and bearded dragon lizards. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early on WGN.